Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's program, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with audio adaptations of two rounds of frightening fiction about paternal protection and cryptic correspondence. I'm your host, Drew Blood, filling in for host Steve Taylor. And trust me when I say I know a thing or two about spooky tales myself. After all, I tell them myself every week over on the Chillin' Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel. And I reckon you've probably heard me a few times here on the podcast too. So do me a favor. After you're done here tonight, come on over to the channel and check out my series, Drew Blood. And settle in for an even longer night of frights. As for the moment, well, I'm set to be your guide as we yet again traverse the dimly lit corridors of your darkest dreams, courtesy of two brand new tales to terrify. Joining us tonight to help bring to life the frightening fiction of Gabriel Black and M. Innenbach are voice talents Nick Garoff and Paul J. McSorley. Now, get your ticket ready and take your seat in our theater of the minds and brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Our first tale tonight comes to us from author Gabriel Black and is performed by Chillin' Tales for Dark Knight's 2016 Evil Out of Voice Acting Champion, Nick Garoff. In it, We'll meet a mischievous boy named Roy, who covets something that rightfully belongs to his friend Billy, and he'll stop at nothing to get it. But, is it worth the cost, and the dark karma that's sure to slither its way in, when and if he succeeds? Stay tuned and find out. Without further ado, I present to you, 
the worms crawl in. Dusty Creek was a dried up old town. It had been small since its inception and smaller still since the draft had begun. You could run into everyone you knew within the space of one hot afternoon, and by God, you knew everyone. You knew friends, and you knew enemies, and from day to day it was hard to tell the difference. At least, this was the case for young Billy Monroe. Billy was a washed out, pale haired 11 year old boy, the runt of a pack of four local lads. The four boys, all roughly the same age, generally ended up playing together. Not because of any particular fondness for each other, but rather that in a town of that size, beggars could not be choosers. Because of this, the line between play and bullying was a vague and often unimportant concept. The boys usually merged together in the town square. There was nothing to draw them there other than convenience. No butcher, baker, or candlestick maker. Just a grocery of dwindling stock, an unfrequented haberdashery, and some faded posters advertising the benefits of a victory garden, a hopeless endeavor in Dusty Creek, and a woman declaring that we can do it, equally hopeless as there was nothing to do. They had passing phases of interest, generally led by the whims of one Caleb Jacobs, a medium-sized, freckle-faced boy who was the unspoken leader of the pack. One month it was Jack's, another month Card's, though this was quickly put to an end by the hen-like ladies passing by, convinced that the boys were playing that morally corrupting game called poker. After that, there came pirates, followed by jungle adventures. These faces would always come on suddenly, only to snuff out just as quickly. All that is, except marbles. Who knows why marbles was such a permanent fixture of the group? It simply was. A game could break out at any time, so the boys always carried their leather sacks of marbles. They generally didn't play for keeps, as the boys wished to hold on to their own meager collections, though Caleb could sometimes convince them to risk losing their cherished marbles with a rough and condescending tone. Billy Monroe was especially attached to his collection, or rather, to a single large shooting marble. It was a true prize, a two-color spiral snake marble with twists of ox blood and pearly mint coiling just under the clear glass surface. It was miles above the other's simple single-colored agates and scavenged ball bearings. It was a hot afternoon, just like every afternoon, when Caleb decreed a game of marbles. With some judicious browbeating, he was also able to persuade the pack into playing a game for keeps. A playing circle was quickly scratched into the dirt and the boys were now carefully choosing which of their own marbles they might be willing to sacrifice. When Billy Monroe pulled his jewel of a marble out of his sack, he gave the marble a comically exaggerated kiss for good luck before nestling the treasure beside him in the sandy soil, well outside of the bounds of the circle. Roy Jones, a broad, thick-lipped boy with hands the size of panlids, sneered at him. Why do you keep that old shooter even though you never use it? He drawled. It doesn't make sense. What are you talking about? said Billy. I use it all the time. Roy licked his tongue. You know what I mean when we play for keeps like we're doing now. Well, it's lucky. It's always been lucky. No sense in the world sending you some luck if you're only going to give it away right back. Roy pouted. I'm just saying that it's not fair that you don't use that shooter when we play for keeps, he spat out. Billy scowled. How's it not fair? I'm not breaking any rules using a different shooter. We can use whatever we want. Right, Caleb? Caleb nodded sagely, leading to a round of snickering. Roy just wants for himself, laughed Matt, a black-haired string bean of a boy. I don't think you'd risk that marvel either if you had it, Roy. Roy huffed at this call out. That's bullcrap and you know it, he growled. Who'd want that fussy old marble anyway? It's just a stinking snake marble. Who wants those? Roy grinned darkly at this new train of thought. Know what? Roy jeered. I bet those aren't even snakes. You know what those colory bits look like to me? Worms. 
wriggly, crawly, slimy worms. Roy barked through a cold laugh. Do you love worms that much, Billy? Like your gramps? I bet your gramps loves worms. Comes home covered in them shoveling worm food all day. Just can't get enough of them. Old Man Monroe, Billy's grandfather, was the local gravedigger. A taciturn, long-faced man who seemed more at ease among the silent dead than his neighbors. Why do you keep itching for this damn marble, then? said Billy. I thought you hated worms. Or maybe you want to eat it? Can't forget that yummy sandwich? Does Roy want a whittle snack? Stop it! Roy spat through gritted teeth, yet even as he spoke, his insides spasmed. Roy's stomach couldn't help but roil at the memory, and the other boys laughed richly as he burned red from anger and embarrassment. Last spring, the group had chosen to bring lunch pails to school in order to play jacks during the midday break. Caleb had deemed to offer Roy half of his ham sandwich, knowing that the quickly bulking boy couldn't refuse a chance at rationed meat. Roy had eagerly chomped off a large, ravenous bite. Within one chew, Roy realized that he had been bitterly deceived as a slimy, earth-tasting paste gummed itself between his teeth. He dropped the sandwich, and as he gazed down, he saw bits of worm fall into his chest and stomach, and the sandwich contents writhing and wriggling where they lay. He had screamed so loudly that he attracted the attention of the entire square, from the busy shopkeeper to the hen-hatted ladies, and even to old man Monroe, shuffling about doing rare errands that required personal interaction. With some deep breaths and a careful swallow, Roy brought himself back to the present. The churning in his stomach morphed into a burning, bileless fire. Well, that marble didn't do your pie any good, did it? He hissed. That lucky marble. Bet it's cursed. I bet your old Gramps hates himself for giving it to him. It's not cursed, shouted Billy, his face scrunched up in red. And it was lucky. At least Pot came back to be buried in one piece. That's more than you could save your uncle, he jeered. Bet he wasn't even blown up. Bet it's a lie. Bet he ran off some French floozy. Roy launched himself at Billy, punching him square in the jaw. It took a moment for Billy to recover, but he quickly hunched over and drove his shoulder into Roy's stomach like some kind of crazed berserker. The movement forced a spat of bile up into Roy's mouth, and he gagged as he fell hard onto his ear. The rest of the boys burst out laughing. Okay, okay, settle down, guys, said Caleb, after he had his fill of the derisive mirth. Roy, you shouldn't have said that about his marble, and Billy... You shouldn't have said that about his uncle. Truce, okay? Billy towed the ground. Yeah, he mumbled. I guess. Roy? Roy was still coughing on the bile in his throat. Well, whatever. Come on, guys. Let's get out of here. As the rest of the pack shuffled away, Roy had managed to right himself. He brushed dirt off his face with the back of his hand. I'll kill you, Billy Monroe, he growled. I'll kill you. A week had passed, and another game of marbles had begun. All resentment over the argument seemed to have been erased and written over with other petty squabbles and name-calling. The pack were once more gathered in the square, squatting by a circle of iron railing meant to protect the scorched and withered sapling inside of it. The railing was being used as a makeshift prison camp, a mighty fortress housing sun-bleached, clothes-pinned POWs. Their comrades had planned a rescue, but sadly, they had all collapsed on the field of battle when Caleb demanded a game of marbles. And what's more, another game for keeps. The boys reached for their leather sacks and emptied their contents onto the dirt. Once more, Billy took the beautiful marble and gently placed it at his side, safe and sound. The bitterness that Roy thought he had forgotten bubbled up, and he grabbed the marble where it lay nestled next to Billy. You're going to use it this time. Show us just how lucky it is. Billy squealed and grabbed at Roy's wrists for the marble which he held aloft. When the side of Billy's fist planted itself into Roy's chest, Roy lost himself completely and shoved Billy hard. But what happened next was an accident. 
a solid plan, perhaps accompanied with a thump of the head, then running off in ears. And that should have been the end of it. That was supposed to be the end of it. But the look of Billy's marvel soured that day. In one stumbling step backward, Billy's foot landed on a cluster of marble, sending him careening in a violent arch. In his fall, Billy struck the iron tree guard and landed in a heap on his side. The boys were laughing, and as their guffaws turned into big huffs of steadying breath, they began to wonder at Billy's stillness. Billy, said Caleb, stop playing possum. You can get up now, Billy, don't be such a baby. The commentary hushed as they noticed a trickle of blood coming from his ear, and soon another streaming down his nose. They didn't move. They didn't speak. They could only watch as Billy lay lifeless, his skin, shirt collar, and even the soil around him came stained with red. The shopkeeper was the first adult to notice as he had seen the fight and had stomped down the square to break it up. Upon seeing the scene before him, he let out a loud yell. A commotion was soon started, with some people shouting about the need for a doctor and others shaking their head over the mysterious whims of the good lord. As the adults crowded in, the boys were pushed away, as empty and dumb as the body crumpled on the ground. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. The brief inquiry had been held. And while Roy was subjected to the stern looks and long-winded scolding of the town doctor, it had been decided that Billy had died by misadventure. Two days later, the town gathered to see Billy off to his final resting place. Old Man Monroe was not rich, thus Billy's coffin was a simple pinewood box. The large nails splintered the wood around the place they had been hammered in, contributing to a vaguely warped and weak appearance. Monroe sat next to it, a gentle hand resting against it protectively as his neighbor's rusted old cart, used in place of a hearse, trundled down the dirt road to the graveyard. Men had their hats off, women daintily dabbed at the corners of their eyes with their handkerchiefs. Children were there as well, many of them bored or confused. Roy was standing next to Matthew, the weakest of the group, now that Billy had passed. I don't get why we need to stand here and watch, muttered Roy with a scowl. I mean, we already know he's dead. Why do we need to look at his box? It's respectful, I guess, mumbled Matthew though he seemed unsure in the face of Roy's strong opinion. Roy suddenly grinned. Hey, Matt, he whispered conspiratorially. Look what I got. Roy opened his clenched hand to reveal Billy's spiral snake marble. Matthew gasped. Roy, he hissed in a frantic whisper. You can't keep that. What do you mean? You should give it back to old man Monroe. It's important to him. You're talking horse shit hissed Roy. It's not like he plays marbles. Too busy messing around with worm food all day. But, said Matt weakly, it belongs to their family. Not anymore, Matthew, said Roy. I grabbed it fair and square. Wait, did you take it when he died? Sure, Roy shrugged. He wasn't going to use it anymore. Matthew's mouth hung agape. What's the big deal? He was already dead. There wasn't anything we could do to help him. I mean, sure, I guess. But still. Are you going to squeal on me? No, muttered Matthew, eyes downcast. That's what I thought. There was a sudden commotion. The wheel of the old cart had hit a rock, and the rickety old thing broke. The coffin slipped from the suddenly tilted floor, causing a splintery dent at the head. Amid the panicked and concerned shouts of the adults, and as old man Monroe gazed helplessly into the crowd, Roy simply threw his head back and laughed, the marble twinkling in his hand. 
Some days had passed, and Roy found himself alone in his small attic room. Watery moonlight streamed through the window, and outside there was nothing to hear but the chittering cicadas and occasional mournful hoot of an owl. His mother would whip him if she knew that he hadn't yet gone to sleep. She was visiting her sister in the next town over, and Roy simply couldn't stop admiring his ill-gotten treasure. He cradled it in his palms, feeling the slight chill of glass warm as it absorbed his heat. He held it in one hand, opening it flat so that the marble could roll gently over his skin. He held it between his fingers, angling it into the moonlight, thrilling at the rich glow of the colorful snakes inside. Roy was only dimly aware of the heavy flap of wings and sudden lull in the cicada's cries, but his attention was soon grabbed when he heard a noise alien to his usual experience. It was a faint, metallic snick. What kind of sound could that be, he wondered. It seemed to have come from outside. He pressed his face against his window, glass becoming damp under the steam from his nose. At first he found nothing amiss, but then he saw something that made his heart drop. From his perch, he could just make out the flung open cellar doors. The old rusted chain which usually kept the doors closed flung carelessly aside. As Royal puzzled blankly over this oddity, and he heard a sudden creak in the floorboards downstairs, his blood chilled and for a long time he remained frozen. The steps continued, each tread sending a new shiver of panic up his spine. His hand began hurting and he realized that he was clutching the marble so hard that his nail beds had turned white. He stared at the marble in horror as a sudden realization came over him. The marble. It must be the marble. Billy had come back for it. How soon would it be before he ascended the stairs and crept into his room? All manner of folk tales and ghoulish myths flooded him. Within a few minutes, though, the tread ceased. Billy knew where his room was and would know where to look for him. Roy swallowed hard as he realized that he needed to make an escape. Roy winced at the creak of his door hinge. Poking his head out carefully, he didn't see anything in the cramped hall. He carefully walked down the stairs, counting ten heartbeats before silently shifting his foot onto the next step, a process which was becoming faster as his heart rate began to rise. There weren't any apparitions or ghostly moans. Maybe he could make it. He could go to the neighbor's house and say there was a snake. He reached the bottom of the stairs. Roy held his breath until it burned, attempting to guess at which floorboard would creak the least. He eventually screwed up his courage and pressed his toes forward, preparing for a whip crack to sound in his ears. Roy was puzzled when no betraying noise came, but then horrified when he realized why. Instead of hitting the bare wood he expected, Roy had stepped into a squish of soft ground. A freezing coil of terror slithered up his spine as he tried to identify the substance. All manner of wild, nightmarish guesses sprang to mind, but it was a patch of watery moonlight by an uncurtained window that revealed the truth. Soil. Once the realization hit, it was followed by an overwhelming stench. Somehow fear had blocked it from him, but now was practically holding Ray's face into it. It was dead earth, a sickening combination of wet stone and rotting weeds. Roy's eyes roamed helplessly, and a pale wash of moonlight revealed the true horror. Trails of dank soil led all over the house, chunks of it, skids of it, all of it reeking of the grave. Roy started to cry. I'm sorry, Billy, he wept. I'm sorry. Here, you can have your marble back. Is that what you want? It's yours. I'm sorry. He held out the marble into the shadowy emptiness and cupped trembling hands, hot tears dripping down his cheeks. A dark, dirt-covered shadow rose over him. Roy gasped, burning and dry, just before a shovel bashed over his head stamping out his short, miserable life. Old Man Monroe treads silently up the path to the graveyard. He was a strong man, 
and his burden was light on his shoulders. They soon reached his goal, a yawning hole rimmed with damp earth. Monroe was used to moonlight and had decided not to use a lantern. He gently slid down the side of the hole, gingerly placing his feet between the wall of wet earth and the pinewood box before removing the loosely nailed lid. Here you go, Billy. The old man slid the marble into a gap between Billy's stiff fingers so that he appeared to be fondly holding it close. To the old man, it seemed that a small smile briefly ghosted over Billy's lips before resuming the restful state. He carefully climbed out of the hole after gently placing the lid back on, then once more scattered dirt onto the coffin with somber sincerity. He did not fill it up, however. There was yet one more thing to be done. He roughly tossed a bloody mass into the hole. It was Roy, his mouth agape, his brains spilling out of his broken skull. The old man reached into his pocket, ready to give another treasure. Worms. Worms everywhere. He had spent hours plucking them from the damp earth, cooing at them with promises of a grand feast. He scattered them over the entire length of Roy's body. Already they were wriggling and poking at the still warm flesh, with one particularly curious specimen slowly burrowing into the pink pulp of his scalp. As a final touch, the old man stuffed a handful into Roy's open mouth. He spit upon the corpse, then cackled with a final departing message. Enjoy your meal, Roy. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. I hope you enjoyed The Worms Crawl In, as written by Gabriel Black and performed by Chillin' Tales for Dark Knight's 2016 Evil Idol voice acting champion, Nick Garoff. If you'd like to see more of Gabriel Black's work, they've been featured on our official horror fiction site, creepypastastories.com, and you can search for them there, where we'll be proud to feature more of their work in the future. Up next, we've got a second sinister story for you, as written by M. Ennenbach and performed by Paul J. McSorley. In it, we'll be introduced to a homesick man separated from his beloved on a very long journey. His letters home tell of his new experiences during his travels and warn of the strange visitor that has decided to keep him company while he's away. Now, without further ado, I present to you, Blue. My dearest, I hope this letter finds you doing well. I've found myself stuck in a morose languish. I hope writing to you will release its hold upon me incrementally, as I've become unable to muster the energy to step outside this accursed hotel room. 
I fear the maids believe I've expired as the do not disturb sign has hung from the doorknob for a week straight. I miss the sound of the waves crashing and your singing as you sit in front of the fire. I also miss the steady clack of your needles as you knit yet another masterpiece to keep us warm in the winter. I miss the touch of your hand upon my shoulder and crooked smile informing me to put my book down and come to bed. This distance is too great between us and I was meant to stay closer to home. My constitution demands the satisfaction of your lips upon mine. These Appalachian winds carry sickness and fear. I can't stand another breath of them. If they don't send me home to you soon, I fear madness will quite overtake my brain. And the dreams this place gives, a pox upon the mountain breeze and rambling wildlife, the sounds at night are enough to make the spine grow weak and the mind dips deeply into insanity. I know you are rolling your eyes at me as you read this, thinking I've only caught a case of the overdramatic. You might be right, but be it the untamed wilderness or the lack of you by my side, these dreams take root and I cannot cast them out. It isn't just me plagued by the accursed things. Why, just this morning, as we sat drinking coffee and dining on eggs and bacon and toast, Jeffrey confided in me that his sleep has become a tangle of dark omens. I tried to laugh it off, but inside I felt the cold steel of terror as he described the very same images I have been haunted by. The room grew quiet as he spoke, and I could see the uncomfortable faces of others that had suffered the same visions. None were willing to say anything but I could see it as clearly as the clouds in the sky. I was asleep, dead asleep. No, strike that, soundly asleep. Better? I was dreaming, not the recurring dream I told you about when I wrote to you last week, the one where you and I picnicked down by the bay. The gulls were crying and the gentle curve of your neck so intoxicating in the afternoon sun. No. I was sound asleep when I heard a tapping on my window. Being in the lodge's third story, my sleeping brain rationalized it as a branch against the pane. My cranky frame stretched up to open the window and trim the offending twig. But as I opened the curtains, I saw no windswept limb. I saw a girl of no more than 13 or so, and she was standing outside my window tapping upon it with a small finger. When she saw me staring back at her, she smiled a smile that carried the warmth of the northern wind in mid-January. It chilled me to the bone to see this mockery of a smile, and I squinted my eyes to better make her out. She was no little girl, this I swear my love. Perhaps once she had been, but no longer. Her skin was stretched too tightly across her skull and had a faint blue tint to it. Her lips were so dark they could have been black. And those teeth? The teeth in her mouth had been filed to sharp points like a shark any other predatory creature meant for one thing. Killing. And she stared at me with that smile that promised blood, not joy, and kept tapping the window. I stumbled back from the window and she began to moan, a sharp keening sound that felt like rusty nails down the back of my brain. I let the curtains fall closed and hurried back into bed, and a small laugh filled with menace and promises of pain filtered through the glass and fabric. I woke with a start and made my way hesitantly towards the window, and as I nervously peered out, I let a soft chuckle as nothing but the treetops and moon greeted me. My heart still hammered in my chest as I lay back down and slept molested by dreams until morning. You probably think it was the result of too much brandy by the fireplace, from smoking my pipe and imbibing with the others while sharing tall tales of the road, and I would tend to agree. You have a knack for seeing right through me like that. But then at breakfast, Jeffrey told of the same evil little minion in his dream as well, down to the smallest detail. We nervously laughed it off, and he burned crimson as he realized how silly he must have sounded. But I tell you, the laughter rang hollow out of my throat. 
Hollow indeed. Now I sit with a shaking hand on the quill. Excuse the spattering of ink on the page. We can call it the chills of early winter. Yes, let's do that. Not the baseless horror I felt last night and again at breakfast, but the onset of winter in a drafty lodge in the middle of nowhere. No, my every thought is upon you, my love, as we brave another week or two in this desolate place. The surveyors sent word they have narrowed down the richest three veins for mining, and once they've finished, we can set our minds to laying out the plans. Then I can catch the train back to you where I belong. I believe this will be my last job for the company. I know I say that each time I head out, but this time, I mean it. I'm so very tired of the road and being away from you. In a few days, I will write you, my love, hopefully with news of my return. Love eternally, H. September the 20th, 1878. My dearest, good day, my love. Forgive the lateness in this letter. I had meant to write days ago, but we found ourselves amid crisis, one after another, and time got away from me. I wouldn't say I like this damnable place, truly a blight in this great nation. The natural beauty hides an undercurrent of pure evil, and I swear this. In my last letter, I detailed that we were awaiting word from the surveyors. After days of silence, we decided to send a party to find them and see what the holdup was. A band of the best trackers and hunters in the region says something as this land is as untamed as in the heart of Africa for sure. Filled with all manners of beast and men went feral from lack of civilization. This is the land our grandfathers and great-grandfathers first landed upon after leaving the only homes they ever knew in search of freedom and riches. The search party sends back regular messages to let us know their progress, and so far, after days, they have very little to report. It is as if the forests and mountains opened up and swallowed the surveying crews whole. Old campfires, weeks old, they say, are the only sign they ever existed. We know the direction they were headed towards, but if they ever made it, there is trace to be seen. The locals remain suspiciously hushed about it. Superstitious folk, the lot of them. They make the crosses sign and hurry off when we ask questions about the woods and mountains. It is infuriating to say the least. So we sit doing nothing while awaiting word on the missing men. Any more delays, I doubt I will make it to a city to catch the train home this year. The air smells thick with snow and the clouds are heavy and block the sun on most days. But I keep optimistic as it is too easy to slip into a malaise up here. On the dream front, since I wrote to you, the dreams have all but stopped. Now my sleeping head is back to being filled with thoughts of you and I frolicking in the waves and laughing and loving. I fear it was the stress of the situation and cabin fever combined. In fact, the spirits overall are much improved besides the worry about the lost crew. Well, we all believe they will turn up soon enough. It isn't the first time a crew has gotten turned around in the dense trees and winding creeks up here. The lack of stars and sun to guide them probably has them hunkered down, waiting for the proper chance to make it back. Our meals are back to being filled with laughter and lies told to sell immense laughter. It was an ever-escalating event of frivolity for men desperate to be home, but willing to brave it out a while longer. All except poor Jeffrey. The fool ended up cracking open his window during the night a few days past. Now he is suffering from sickness brought on by the chill air in his lungs. The doctors claim he has no signs of illness, just lethargy as far as they see. He mostly sleeps and drinks heavily of the tincture they make locally, a relatively strong concoction capable of taking down a bear as the locals tell it. I took a drink of it and slept peacefully for nearly 12 hours, so I'll testify to its strength. But don't fear for Jeffrey, he'll pull through this, and possibly learn to leave the windows shut during the cold nights. I must go, my love, I see the wagon pulling near the lodge and hope to hear good news. I shall write sooner, I swear. Until then, know I think of you always, 
and long to feel your lips upon mine. Love Eternally H. September the 28th, 1878 My dearest, the last couple of days have been fraught with ups and downs. I feel torn in multiple directions. As always, I hope this finds you in good spirits. Apologies for the rushed nature of this. I am practically beside myself with glee and sorrow. Where to begin? After the last letter, the search party returned with good and ill tidings. The surveyors have been found holed up in a cave. A pack of ravenous red wolves attacked them. Three men were lost, bringing the crew down from nine to six. Much of the equipment was lost as well, but compared to the three souls that have left us, it is a small price. Though the company men higher up do not see it that way, it is a shame when life is worth less than coal. A damn shame. But the surveyors managed to retain their maps, and we will begin to make our plans after the bodies are laid to rest. On that note, in tragic news, Jeffrey has succumbed to his illness. He passed last night in his sleep. The sudden scream from his quiet room awakening all of us and caused a mad scramble to his side. In his sickness, he managed to open his window yet again. His body, though just expired, was as cold as ice and tinged in blue when we got to him. His lips darkened deep red as if chapped severely. A rictus scream of pain was frozen on his face. It shall haunt me seeing him that way. All memories of him standing strong and fierce was replaced by that look of terror. The doctors came to visit his corpse and quickly whisked him away. I got into a great tussle with them over his remains. They insist he be burnt to ash instead of sent home for proper burial in consecrated ground. They demand all of the bodies be burnt. There are no answers given as to why, just solemn marks of the cross from their overly superstitious hands. This whole land feels like it has not progressed since before the War of the States. Simple-minded, God-fearing folk set in their ways. I wonder what they would say about you here, my love. Would their old ways send them into a fit of apoplexy at a Negro woman and white man finding love together? Possibly. I'm not sure they even know of the emancipation of the slaves here. There are only two last names on the mountainside, and neither seems willing to crossbreed with the other. Needless to say, I'm glad you are safely at home and far from these savage fools and their untempered belief. I must go. They say the bodies must be burned within a strict time frame according to scripture. No scripture I have ever read. It makes me long for the city's civility, the more open-minded people, future thinking and prone to science over magic. I've given my notice to the bosses that this will be my last job and then home to retirement and start our family. They raised great ballyhoo over this, claimed I'm leaving them in a lurch with the sudden loss of Jeffrey. I don't care. We can plant crops and I can pen my manuscript of our great nation's outlying regions. My life is with you, not them. It should be a week, possibly two, before I can return to our home. First to lay these brave men to rest, then to plan out the mines. I miss you greatly, my love, and I will be there soon. Until that moment, I shall write to you and keep you detailed on this cursed trip. Love eternally. H. October the 3rd, 1878 My dearest, the dreams are back again. Everyone is on edge. The tapping in my window occurred again two nights in a row now. Even in my dreams, I am too frightened to peer out the curtain and see that blue-skinned monster. The townsfolk refuse to answer my questions about her. They will not acknowledge us when we leave the lodge. The first snows have fallen, and now they seem to want us gone. No more than we wish to escape ourselves. It's been four days since we burned our fallen comrades. Now another has fallen sick with the mysterious wasting away illness. The bosses refuse to answer our questions and work has ground to a halt. A contingency of fellow workers are talking about just leaving. The bosses swear if they do, 
they will not be paid for the job. I've tried to be a voice of reason, but there is none to be had in this hell. Everyone is sullen and fearful. I was jumping at every noise. I worry if the sickness doesn't get us, this eerie malaise will. Secretly, I want to leave as well, but we need this final lump payment to settle down and start the farm. How I miss home. You. The clean, salty air and tides were lulling us into a sense of calm and security. The ocean is a balm for the weary mind and soul. Combined with your gentle touch, it is heaven in a world of turmoil. Two more weeks. That is where I draw the line. After that, I'll be forced to winter here, and I fear I will succumb before it ends. The rooms grow stuffy, and I fear what lies outside the windows at night. Two more weeks and I leave come hell or heavy snows. Until then, I will keep the peace as well as I can. I will seek answers from the townsfolk in the meantime. Unravel this mystery ailment and ghostly blue girl. I hear boots outside in the hallway. I must go and put out another fire, it seems. I love you, my wife. Hopefully, the following letter comes and I will be on my way to you. Love eternally. H. October the 8th, 1878. Matilda. My love, how I miss you. This has turned from bad to worse. The snows fall each night and soon the roads will be too treacherous to trust. Neither boss nor worker can speak to one another without a threat of violence. Two more have fallen ill and one has passed on. I've taken to visiting the tavern in town and drinking until I pass out at a table there. This lodge has become oppressive with fear and hostility. I've befriended a few locals. They tell tales of a group of blue-skinned demons that haunt the woods at night. Evil things with fangs and blackened lips that lure men to their doom. It is said they feed upon their souls and leave empty husks behind. They burn the bodies so they do not rise again. I don't know if this is just rural fantasy or accurate, but it chills me to the bone and leaves me weak in the knees. I've decided to leave without the pay promised. Death is not worth chancing over living a fruitful life with you. Even here in the bar, I feel the call in my inebriated sleep. Hear the tapping outside the walls. I shall return to the lodge this evening and pack my belongings and leave at once. It will be my first time returning in days. I hope to leave in the morning if the weather permits. I shall write to you before I go to let you know I'm on my way to your loving embrace. Love eternally. H. October the 13th, 1878. Matilda, my love. I have been trapped in the lodge for two days. The night I came to pack, a blizzard swept in and the snow was halfway covering the doors. The sickness has claimed nearly everyone in the lodge. I barricaded the door to my room and pushed the dresser in front of the window. I am huddled in bed with the embers of my fire slowly dying out. I have broken the furniture for fuel and am running desperately low. I need provisions or I shall perish as well. At night the tapping on the glass has grown to a cacophony. In the halls outside I hear the scurry of tiny bare feet and insidious laughter low rumbling voices of men bed-stricken with illness, and shuffling steps that stop right outside my room. I don't know if this is a plague or some dark magic at work, but I fear if starvation doesn't get me, the sick and dying will. I don't know how to get this letter out to you. I'm only writing it to maintain my sanity and focus. If the snow falls deeper, I should be able to launch myself out the window and land safely below. I'm growing desperate enough to try now as the sun begins to set and before the night horrors start. But I won't. I can last one more night. For you, my love, I will persevere through this madness. Love eternally. H. October the 15th, 1878. Matilda, my dearest. I did it. As the sun rose and the voices stopped this morning, I braced myself and jumped into the deep snow below my window. I twisted my knee and ankle, but the cold has allowed me to keep moving. I write to you from the tavern. 
The locals are worked up into a frenzy. They speak of burning the lodge down with all the souls trapped inside. I hate myself for saying this, but I agree wholeheartedly with the decision. They could burn the entire woods down and raise the mountainside as well. There is evil here, deep and old evil. The roads are too covered and my body too battered to make the trek to the nearest train station. I shall have to stick it out here until I can make the journey. The locals say it will be three days at the least, a week if the storms don't decrease. But I need to leave, to return home. They are gathering kindling to start the blaze now, and if I could, God help me, I would help them. Please pray for their souls and mine, my love. I beg of thee, this must be made right. I love you with all my heart. I'll be there as soon as possible. I swear this. Love eternally, H. October the 16th, 1878. Matilda. What evil have they loosed upon the world? The lodge lies in smoldering ruin. All those men screamed as they were burnt alive and echoed into town. I fear we have damned ourselves from salvation. Now the entire town dreams of tapping on the glass. No place is safe. I'm trapped in a room above the tavern, unable to walk. I hear them scurry upon the roof all through the night. The barkeep says houses are on fire all through the small town as more fall sick. I dream of blue-skinned demons. A fever burns me up, and it is the flames of hell taking me. I should have said no and left when I had the chance. I fear it is too late for me now. Too late for all of us. We've opened the gates, and now they are free to run rampant through the valley. Possibly the world. Whatever kept them bound to the lodge went up in smoke with all those innocent souls. We did this to ourselves. Even now, I hear the bare feet slapping across the timbers above me. No, I love you, Matilda. Now and forever. I feel the end coming for me. A group is leaving as the sun rises, and I will try and join them in a wagon. If I cannot, I will send this last letter to them. If I'm not home in a couple of weeks, you'll know what happened to me. I'm so sorry. I never intended to leave you this way. Love eternally. H. October the 20th, 1878. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I hope you enjoyed Blue as written by M. Innenbach and performed by Paul J. McSorley. If you enjoyed Paul's performance, don't forget, you can hear more of him in our 2019 Evil Out of Voice Acting Competition in which he was a contestant, as well as in his performances of several of author Jeff Sturtevant's stories. I personally recommend Return to the Dirt, a devilish tale that brings a whole nother meaning to the phrase you are what you eat. <laughs> and if you dig Splatterpunk Award nominee M. Ennenbach's work, simply search for him on Amazon, where you'll find many of his books for print, including his award-winning collaborative anthology, Cerebus Rising. Or visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash Ennenbach, spelled E-N-N-E-N, -N -E -N -N B-A-C-H. 
and you'll be redirected to his author page on creepypastastories.com where you'll find his links to his social media and the Amazon page I just mentioned so you can pick up a copy of his books today. In an inbox anthology, Cerebus Rising, a poet, a master of horror, and a master of suspense join forces as Cerebus. With three prompts, cabin fever, letters, and chaos, the three-headed beast dishes out nine novelettes, each with a unique style that'll take you on a journey through nine different levels of hell. So don't delay. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash Innenbach and pick up your copy of Cerebus Rising today. And let Mr. Innenbach know that Drew Blood and the team at Chillin' Tales sent you. It would mean a lot to us. Thanks again for your support of tonight's talented authors and of indie horror. And with that, listeners, our weekly descent into the depths has just about come to a close. But before we go, I'd like to take a moment to thank you for joining us for tonight's episode. And remind you, you can take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave Chillin' Tales for Dark Nights a five-star review and a kind word. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you haven't already. And, of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillinTalesForDarkNights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. I'm your host, Drew Blood, and it's been a real pleasure. Tune in again next week when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. <laughs>Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, a production of Chilling Entertainment and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted by yours truly, Steve Taylor. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Logo by Craig Groshek. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? We take submissions. Email it to us today at submissions at chillingtalesfordarknights.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to us. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew each and every week. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories including those you've heard on this program. We'll be back next week with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> you can live out your MasterChef dreams. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. 
It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.